Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. Selling a piece of jewelry like an engagement ring or wedding set can be a nightmare, but Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to work with you and for you to get the best deal on your piece. And if you're thinking it's not worth the hassle, remember that your diamond engagement ring can be the financial asset that allows you to embrace that fresh start after divorce. Worthy helps you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a $100 gift card when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. For this episode, we're talking about co-parenting for the new school year. There's usually lots of changes, different schedules, different activities, different routines, perhaps even different schools. And that means lots of communication and lots of opportunity for disagreement and tension. However, my guest today believes that smooth transitions are possible when parents put the children first and the hostilities with the ex last. My guest today is Carolyn Grimes of Wade Grimes, Friedman, Meinken, and Leishner from Alexandra, Virginia. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. Glad to be here. I wanted to start off with maybe an obvious point, but... A smooth transition would be wonderful, and I can almost hear some of our listeners sighing with relief, and I can picture them relaxing as this all comes together. But let's talk about what are the consequences when there aren't a smooth transition, when there isn't a smooth transition? Who suffers then? Well, it's always the children that have to bear the brunt of issues between the parents and the divorce. And For the start of a new school year, it depends on where you are in the divorce and separation process already. And every state varies on how they treat that. Family law is very different state to state. For example, in Virginia, where I practice, you don't file for separation. You can only file for divorce. A lot of states allow you to file for separation. But here, if you're, of course, already divorced and you have an agreement, then the terms should all be in place for what happens in the school year, because you should have the custody schedule set already. But if you don't have an agreement, or if you're separate and apart under the same roof, which we have here, if you don't have a schedule, probably the worst thing you can do is play what I call tug of war with the kids. Children need to know where they're going to be every day, where they're sleeping, who's picking them up, if they're going to activities, if they're going to grandma's, if they're going to daycare. So of course, the best thing is if The parents agree in advance. So let's say you don't have a custody schedule at all. You're still in the same house, but you want to be separated or you just don't have a custody schedule and you're physically separated. If you can't get into court to determine the schedule, the parents have to agree where the children are going to live for the school year, what school they're going to go to if the parents live in two different districts, and what the day-to-day schedule is. The worst thing you can do is have no schedule and have both parents showing up at school at the end of the day saying, you know, you're going with me, little Timmy, or you're going with me. Don't do that. It's better practically to cede to the other parent unless you've got an abusive 
situation and then you don't want to do that. And if you have an abusive situation, obviously you probably had court intervention before. But the best thing is to have a schedule. It's really hard on kids to start a new school year coming out of COVID when they haven't been going full time, although most kids went to school physically last year, but not necessarily physically at the start of last year, at least not in Virginia, schools were still virtual. Right, right. So they're coming off summer vacation when they've been goofing off. They got to go sit in the classroom for hours. They're tired. They're cranky. They don't want to be there. And the last thing they need is mommy and daddy fighting in front of all their friends Right. at the end of the school day. So don't do that. So you had talked about, you know, if you have a parenting plan in place or if you're just in the process of getting divorced and you need to work all of that out. And of course, you know, sometimes it's like changes in the schools that the children are attending, like transitioning from elementary school to middle school, from middle school to high school might actually call for a change in your parenting plan because what's in your parenting plan may have been set years ago and doesn't work now. True. And children physically change, you know, school buildings usually when they go from elementary school to yeah. middle school, junior high, whatever it's called in your area, and then to high school. So the transportation is different. When you build a parenting plan, if you're going to have what we call here shared custody, where each parent has the child at least 90 overnights a year, in my view, shared custody really only works if the parents live near each other, because otherwise the kids have to spend so much time driving to school Yeah. in the morning. They call that windshield time. One of the judges around here calls it that. <laughs> and they, they don't want the kids to have to get up an extra hour early to drive from, you know, 20 miles away, which around here could take you two hours in driving time. So the practicality of where to live and if your plan needs to change over time are things to consider. You can build into a parenting plan that you will review it, that you may review it, that you have to review it as certain milestones for the children. Usually if you have that, you have like, we'll go to mediation and try before we go to court after changing it. But all that takes planning. Don't wait until the day before school to say, hey, who's driving them to school tomorrow? you well, got to yeah. get that done in advance. So that was one of my questions was, you know, with all these changes for the new school year, you know, how far in advance do you open up that dialogue with your other parent? Or do you, do you think that that's like really based on each individual and what their patterns of parenting are? And some people leave it to the last minute. Some people are planners and would start like a month ahead of time. Well, I mean, it does depend on your individual personalities and who normally does what. But from the lawyer's perspective, the lawyers always consider, are we going to resolve this or not resolve it? If we're not going to resolve it, then we have to go to court. You have to plan to go to court. You have to be able to get into court. You have to know your court's docketing schedule. I will tell you, most divorce lawyers spend their summers dealing with here relocation custody cases. People who want to move and that move out of the area and they have to get that done before the school year. So that's what we do all summer long. In the month of May and June, we spend our time dealing with motions for summer vacation for people who can't pick their summer vacation dates. <laughs> and in July and August, we go to court for relocation custody cases. But to get a hearing in July and August, you have to have filed in January or February. Pick the hearing date to get the hearing date. So if you, in your agreement or just in life, if you know something is coming, if you have to enact a change prior to the school year, and you think you're not going to agree, depending on your individual court system, you need to start engaging with that other parent 
early in like March, probably to get into your own individual court systems or give you time to go to mediation. If you wait, you know, people who call me a week before something's supposed to happen, I can't get them into court if they're not in agreement. All I can do is make them agree. And if they can agree, then I don't really need to call the lawyer. (laughs) So it sounds like, you know, if if big decisions like a change of school and particularly a a change of school district, you need to get a jump on that way, way earlier in the year. Maybe when the snow's still falling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, after Christmas, people don't like to fight for Christmas while they do sometimes, but then deal with Christmas. But also, if you you have to give yourself time to settle. And if you're going to go to mediation, you have to realize in the summer, people take vacation and you can't get into the mediators and you've got your vacations with the kids. So don't think you can start talking about what's happening on August 31st, on July 1st, unless you're just going to agree without any intervention because everybody go on vacation and you can't get it done. So, Carolyn, jumping a little bit here, in in my experience, it's pretty common for one parent to take on an organizational role, and they're really good at doing all the administrative work, but then there's sometimes a backlash from the other parent about them being controlling, taking charge, excluding them. What's your advice there, trying to balance those and how do, how do you make that work for the child? Because that's who's the important one here. Right. Well, that's not uncommon that one parent is the scheduler and the other parent is not because you, when you're an intact family, you don't both need to be scheduling. And when parties separate, it's hard to split up the scheduling because it just makes it more complicated. I try to tell the clients, look, if that spouse schedules the appointments, sets the stuff up, as long as it's not impinging on your time, let he or she do it. But usually we have rules in place that they have to tell the other parent in advance, like for doctor's appointments. The issue that always comes up is activities. People think that the other spouse is maliciously scheduling the child's activities during their time. And around here, kids do a lot of activities. I mean, all children play soccer and have taekwondo <laughs> these right. days. You know? right. I, I hardly ever see anyone going to ballet lessons, which disappoints me, or piano lessons. It's like, doesn't anyone play an instrument anymore? And going to the school play, I'm like, fine. What I tell the clients on both sides of it is, if you were an intact family, would the child be able to play soccer and have to go to practice a couple days a week and have games on the weekend? Yes. So just because you two got divorced, why are you taking soccer away from the child? Parents spend their time driving children to activities. That's what parents do. And you're going to have to do it on both of your times. Now, if you've got one that has scheduled eight activities per semester for the child, that's probably too much. And sometimes we have rules in agreements that the kids can only have up to two activities or, you know, two sports. I like to try to sneak in one artistic activity, but nobody will ever do it. And sometimes the parents don't take the child to their activities during their time. Let's say mom has custody and dad has a weekday dinner and the weekday dinner falls on, you know, soccer practice. So the time he would be spending with the child, the child's in soccer practice. Well, on the one hand, if you're an intact family, you'd be sitting there watching the kid play soccer. But the dad's like, that's my only time from what do I do? So either the child misses soccer practice that day. And unless they're, you know, practicing for the World Cup, they probably really don't need three days of practice a week. But, or they switch dad's day. 
Right. Yay when they don't have it. Now, some people can do that by agreement, and some people require court intervention to switch from Monday to Friday. But unless the other parent is the one running the activity, generally they have no control over when the practices and the games are set, and they're generally not doing it maliciously. So then some people overschedule their kids and just to block the other parents' time. But th- these are discussions to have at the beginning of the school year or the school semester about really in an ideal world, you'd sit down and you'd say, what activities are the children going to do? What did they do last semester? What's happening? What are the practice days? And I, I also find that with those extracurricular activities, Another source of of conflict is the whole meeting with the the coach and getting on the email lists and signing up. And the one parent often feels like the other parent hasn't given the coach their email or isn't getting included on communications. What are your recommendations there? Well, you either have one where one parent feels there's a secretary to the other parent because they're doing everything. Or you have it where it's like, well, I'm not on everything. Well, you know, on the one hand, you're an adult, walk up to the soccer coach and say, hey, here's my email address, put me on the list. And sometimes when we have people who are just highly contentious, we have rules in our agreements. You must list the other parents on all contact forms for this and that activity. But sometimes we also say each parent has a responsibility to get themselves on the activity form and then they complain how do I know what they're doing it's like well ask your child if they're walking to you in a soccer uniform guess what they're playing soccer I mean you, you you have to be able to manage your own life at some point in time and it's your ex-wife is not your secretary right Right. So I'm hearing there kind of like a a dual pronged approach is that you do need to take responsibility for being included yourself. It would be great if your ex, when the, if the ex is signing the child up or you're signing your child up, then make sure that you include your other parents' contact information, but it doesn't, it's, you can't abdicate your responsibility for that. No, I mean, I, I you can't tell you what the number of people I have that complain to me, they're not getting information from the kid's school or this and that. And I ask them, have you contacted the school? Well, no, contact the school. <laughs> you know, here at the Virginia law, you have access to your child's academic records, whether you have sole legal custody or joint legal custody, you can still get the records. Now, sometimes you get pushback from the schools, which is wrong, but contact the school, solve the problem. Okay. Well, you I'm know gonna, the teachers, the teachers are going to contact you. Right. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but let's just take a short break here. Listeners, my guest is attorney Carolyn Grimes of Wade Grimes, Meinkin, Friedman and Leishner in Alexandria, Virginia. You're listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. We'll be right back and do stay tuned for more tips from Carolyn on how you can make the transition to the new school year go more smoothly. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your rings from dusty relics of hard times to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, partner with Worthy. We're ready when you are. 
And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about co-parenting for the new school year. My guest is attorney Carolyn Grimes of Wade Grimes, Meinken, Friedman, and Leishner in Alexandria, Virginia. Carolyn believes that smooth transitions are absolutely possible when parents put their children first and the hostilities with the ex last. So, Carolyn, before the break, we were talking about signing kids up for extracurricular activities and making sure you're on the contact lists and including your other parent in that. And we started to kind of like touch a little bit on um, the school part of that. And that was going to be my my next question was about contacting new teachers and introducing yourself and I was thinking, you know, it really is, if, if you're the organizer, you're the one that's great planner and you do all that, it really it is a courtesy to include the other parent in those emails so that they, they see that communication that's going on. It, it keeps them in the loop. And assuming that they're reading the emails, then they, they understand what's happening and I also think it makes it easier for the teacher because it's like, I feel bad sometimes for these teachers if they've got two parents who are not communicating very well, but somehow the teacher's expected to navigate that little minefield for the child. Yeah, don't put your teachers in an awkward position. They don't like it. It's not their job. They have so much to deal with now. Each parent has the responsibility to contact the school unless there's a court order preventing one parent from contacting the school board, abuse or other reasons. Like I was saying, in Virginia, it's the law that both parents have access to all of the kids' academic records. That may not be the law in your particular state, so check your state law. Here, you know, you have teachers email all the time. They have programs called Blackboard where you can see the kids' homework. You know, the homework going back and forth when you have shared custody. I always picture these poor kids, you know, suddenly showing up in dad's and saying, hey, I have to build a volcano tomorrow for my science project. <laughs> and dad's like, uh, okay, we've got like three hours to get that done. And then they go back to mom's and they're like, oh, I forgot my volcano at dad's. We have to go back and get it. So, you know, there's a lot of practical concerns for custody arrangements and when you flip the kids during the school week. But in terms of the school most teachers will put both parents on. Every now and then I run into, it's not with the school, it's with the medical appointments where they will only have one email allowed in their portal or one person to sign up. Then the person who signs up has to forward everything to the other parent. But I've seen tremendous fights about that. And the medical professionals are like, this is a program we use. You guys pick one. And then the parents bump each other out of it, which is ridiculous. So you're going to have to agree on those rules if that's what you run into. These are third parties. They're not bound by your divorce agreement. You're bound to make it work and not, you know, intrude on them. I mean, I've seen people get kicked out of medical practices because the parents fight so much. The doctors are like, that's it. We're done. We're not dealing right. with you anymore. Right. And, you know, if you have one parent who's trying to get information from the teacher, they don't want the other parent to see like every time you, know, if you have a shared custody schedule or the kids tired every time they come back from dad, you're not going to want to copy dad on that email. 
But a lot of teachers, of course, don't want to get involved in that. And if they're reporting a problem, the teachers, if they have both parents' contact information, they'll report it to both parents. Highly, you know, involved schools and teachers will tell both parents, hey, look, little Susie is way too tired on Monday and Tuesday. I don't know what you guys are doing, but this child is, you know, falling asleep in class. So pay attention to that. And, you know, for special needs children, you really have to be careful about the schedule and be proactive. And here they call them um, individualized education plans. Oh, yes. You know, if you have joint legal custody, especially both parents should be involved. Typically, you run into the situation where if you have a child with special needs, one parent always thinks they have less of a need than the other one does. I have no ability to assess, right? I don't have any ability to assess how much your child needs, except for I've been doing this for 30 years and I've seen a lot of things. Uh, You know, my advice is rely on the professionals because, you know, one parent says a child's autistic and the other parent says they're not. You need a professional to determine that. And if they say they are, you need to get that child special services and stop blocking them or just showing up and declaring, I'm not in support of this. How does that help the child? So I'm just going to jump jump back to the, I know a lot of schools, you had said that they have like blackboard systems and, and that, and they just sort of, the school portals you do have, if you have access to school information, your other parent can't sign you up for that. You have to enroll and register. And I think that that's, you have a responsibility to do that as a, if you want to be actively involved in your child's schooling, then you you do need to make sure that you're enrolled and you're watching what the homework is. And uh, if you have to sign up and set your own password, your ex-spouse cannot do that for right, you. you right. Absolutely. They're going to say, well, she never told me about it. Well, did you contact the school? Did you yeah. know that this was happening when you were still together? I mean, if you're divorced before your children go to school, one parent may not know the ins and outs of the school system, but you're getting divorced and your kids are 14 and 15. If you don't know how the school works, then you haven't been paying attention and let the other parent do it all. And you do have to catch up now. Mm-hmm. So I mean, sometimes people become much more involved and much more hands-on when they separate because they have to, or because they're given the chance to, and that's to the better for the children. If they have two active parents, I mean, sometimes the one who did everything resents the one who didn't do anything, but take a long view of it and, you know, go get a manicure. So, <laughs> yeah, so, time to yourself. <laughs> so that um, when the parent who hasn't been very involved does step up and become more active, I've seen that become a source of frustration for the parent who used to do it all. And I do try and say, this is part of the parents renegotiating their relationship with the child and being actively involved. And it is a good thing. It's a difficult, it might be a difficult transition to work through, but ultimately it is better for the child to have both parents be actively involved. Right. And they can say, well, this is what the kids will like him more than me. You know, kids bounce back and forth and they're liking affection, but they know who loves them and who takes care of them. And I always tell them, you know, and when they're like 13, I keep dropping this age because of the way children are these days. They don't want anything to do with you and they're pulling away from you. And that's normal. <laughs> yes. They're not coming back until they're 25 and they want money. So, <laughs> so um, one other area that comes with these transitions are talk about expenses and back to school supplies. I often see arguments around that. And I know that 
most parenting plans I've seen certainly have some agreement on extraordinary expenses and that they do need to be agreed on in advance. But this is where they, I think, you know, it's maybe a small example, but it's a, it's a good example where you could have one parent who wants back to school supplies child to have a brand new backpack every year and the brand names on all of the paper and the pens and, you know, it could run three to $500 and you have the other parent who says, heck no, that backpack's perfectly good from last year. They don't need a new backpack. But I also have a big belief that you you can't automatically surprise the other parent with a bill that they have to contribute to without having talked about it. Right. So if you have terms in your agreement for splitting direct expenses of the children, you have to follow the terms. Usually there's a kick out that says if you don't agree and the one parent wants to buy it, they can and the other parent doesn't have to contribute. Besides the backpacks, what you see now are laptops and yes yes and whose plan they're on and then who can control the cell phone and the privacy apps and that can get very complicated and very contentious especially if you let your kids have all of these gizmos when they're too young but like here child support covers food shelter clothing it doesn't cover anything else so it's typical when you have terms for extracurricular activities wedding sometimes people really go to extreme you know but mitzvahs things like that but if you have uh the back to school expenses follow the terms of your agreement because like you said if you suddenly buy a 500 hundred dollar backpack that has wi-fi access or something in it and the other parents like i didn't agree to that they're not going to pay and likely of course not going to let them make them and it's also going to be too expensive to take it to court no matter what so try to coordinate, obviously, as much as possible. But, you know, it's a big bump up of expense at the start of every school year, every semester. And little kids grow so much the winter coat, you know, new winter coat every year. is fairly and, normal. Yeah, and new clothes for school. So I think, you know, that comes down to, you know, maybe what we talked about at the very beginning. One of the keys to this smooth transition is good communications and opening that dialogue up and having kind of direct conversations like can we agree on a dollar amount that we would split for school supplies Mm -hmm. i have some parties who want to maintain a joint account and they fund it they figured out what the kids expenses are on average over the year and they fund it each month and then they just charge off on a debit card from that account for agreed upon expenses and sometimes they reconcile them and they just look and see if as long as it's what we normally said then it's fine But then unfortunately, you have people who do that who then get into tremendous fights about it. So you've got to be able to work together if you're going to do that. And I do think you're making me think here. I think that you and I in this industry, we're always dealing with people who are in conflict and disagreeing and trying to facilitate that. But there is a there's a huge population of people who are divorced and separated, living in two separate homes, who are able to reasonably work together on these issues. And I don't want to lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those people I don't see. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I always tell the clients, you know, you write the agreement for when you disagree, not when you agree. Because when you agree, you don't really need a written agreement. The written agreement is for when you disagree about what to do it gives you the guidelines that you've already agreed upon. So 
you know, when people are like, oh, I'm sure we can agree upon that. And the rest, well, you know, once you get divorced and one or both of you remarry and there's another person in there who's suddenly going to say, why are we paying for soccer for this child? You know, we have our own kids. We can't afford it. So you write the agreements for when you disagree. You right. can't predict everything that will happen in the future, but you got to set the guidelines on the children's basic needs. That's a good tip. Um, I have I have one more question here. And like you are trying to communicate with your other parent. You're saying, you know, it's new school years coming up. Got to buy new school supplies. Got to buy new school clothes. Can we agree on this much for a budget? What do you do when the other parent just doesn't respond? Well, that's always a problem. They don't respond about anything. I mean, the child obviously needs to have clothes. So you're going to need clothes. If you don't have any enforceable terms in an agreement, there's nothing to enforce them against. So sometimes, you know, the lack of response means it all falls on the other parent as a practical matter because you can't send a child to school without shoes. Right. And that's just the hard reality. Mm-hmm. And we hope that there's one parent who is at least one parent who's stepping up and taking responsibility for that. Yep. That's what we do. You know, here, child support is, like I said, food, shelter, clothing. It's not soccer camp. So, and uh, child support guidelines vary a lot. And even the clothing part is very minimal. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not going to cover most children's clothing needs. Mm -mm. I mean, shelter costs are really high in Northern Virginia, and they revamped the child support guidelines for the first time since 1975, about five years ago. Wow. And that was it. And it's still, it's not enough to live here. It's in a very expensive area. And, you know, backpacks cost what two hundred dollars shoes that's a lot winter coat costs a couple hundred laptop you're not gonna be able to pay for that just on child support no child's direct expenses are going to exceed that especially in august september and december january you're going to spend more money on the kids than you get in child support for those months carolyn we are up on time here and before we close out i just wanted to ask if there was one thing from our conversation today that you'd like to emphasize for our listeners? As much as possible, both parents should try to remember that the child's life shouldn't be impacted from the divorce as much as possible. There's a huge impact from divorce on the child. It changes their world. But these practical concerns can be dealt with in advance. And like I said, if your child would have this, if you're in an intact family, they still need to play soccer if you get divorced. So work it out so the kids can still have as much of their life as possible. I do really like that tip about looking at concerns and issues from a perspective of, of if you were an intact family, what would be happening? And I'm going to use that. Okay. So thank you. <laughs> you can thank quote you. me on that. <laughs> I will. I will. That's a, a really, really, I love that tip. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. And listeners, my guest today was attorney Carolyn Grimes of Wade Grimes, Meinken, Friedman and Leishner in Alexandria, Virginia. They practice in all areas of family law, including divorce, child custody and child support. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. Worthy is a selling partner with an online auction platform designed to help you sell your jewelry, 
such as an engagement ring or wedding set. When you decide to send your ring, Worthy takes care of the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely at our New York office. Once your jewelry arrives, the team at Worthy professionally cleans and photographs it before sending it out to a grading lab. All of these steps are designed to maximize your price in Worthy's online auction, where hundreds of buyers compete for your piece. One of the best parts of selling with Worthy is that you are completely in control. You'll work with Worthy's team to set a reserve price before the auction starts, keeping you in control of how much your ring sells for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send your ring back to you and we'll even cover the costs of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what you want to hear. We look forward to hearing from you. And you can also find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast.